Well, Happy New Year. It's been a long year. Do you remember the season, this season last year? This season last year, we were just six months into this pandemic and a bit shell-shocked to not be gathering in person for these days of all. We were still starting to adjust to masks and distancing protocols. We were still amazed that our lives had been broken into BC before COVID and DC during COVID. We had gone a whole half of a year of life without seeing strangers at shopping centers, friends over meals, or loved ones at major family gatherings. And here we are today, another 12 months later, now 18 months since COVID first broke our world into BC and DC. And now what? Now we have vaccinations and this was going to be our reprieve, but then our hopes toward making it to AC after COVID were dashed as we realized that they don't cover everyone and many refuse to be inoculated. And now we have the Delta variant to contend with. And so our broken lives have not shifted back to normal. In fact, our path from brokenness back to normalcy itself has become broken. And that sustained uncertainty is really tough. There are two ways to respond to these kinds of challenges in life. These times when you think something is supposed to happen and it doesn't, these times when you realize that you most certainly are not in control. Either we can deny what's happening around us, devolve into a chaotic and frenetic spiraling, grasping onto the things that numb our hurt hearts, or we can hold onto that brokenness that we feel, grieve all that we have lost, and have faith that new realities that we haven't even imagined will lead us into a new future. Not the same future that we had anticipated, but a new reality from which good can come. On this first day of the new year, we are already making a choice about how we will live in the year unfolding in front of us. We're here looking for a way forward as we cross over the threshold from last year into this new year. Will it be a year of fear or will it be a year of faith? The way we answer this question will determine our reality. 3,200 years ago, Moses left the people to ascend Mount Sinai. He had been called by God and they were to wait for him at the foot of the mountain. How long was he supposed to be up there? No one thought to ask. And now that he was gone, no one actually knew what to expect. He was gone for four hours. That quickly turned to 40 hours. Two days turned to four weeks. Where was he? The people had previously been making their way through the desert on their journey to the promised land, but now their routines were interrupted, their lives put on hold. They were told to wait for him and to not move from that foot of the mountain. But for how long? How long would they be kept in this purgatory prevented from moving forward? They loved Moses. They had history with him. They had, he had protected them and, and sacrificed his comfy life in Pharaoh's palace for their freedom. He stood up for them. He led them out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea with them. 
They would follow him into the desert if he asked them to, and they asked him to. But at least then they were moving forward and they felt they were getting somewhere. But now everything was stopped and without explanation and without a clear sense of when this waiting period would be over. Without a sign from God or Moses, they spiraled from feeling stuck into a profound sense of loneliness and isolation in that precarious wilderness. Their faith was tested and they failed. They let fear take over. They decided they were deserted in the desert. And so they felt compelled to take action and appoint a new leader. Maybe then they can move forward. We know that when we let our fears take over, it never leads to anything good. But can you have faith after 40 days? By that 40th day, they had collected enough gold from one another to fashion a prop to serve as their new leader, an idol in the shape of a calf. In their impatience and desperation, they hoped it would serve as a kind of surrogate. And indeed, the sight of this giant beast in some small way reassured them, even if it was hollow. They celebrated its creation with music, libations, and excessive food. They tried to dull the pain of their broken lives with these fleeting pleasures. But in the trance of the festivities, there appeared Moses back from his convening with God. The leader had returned. <clears throat> he descended the mountain at first with radiant enthusiasm for reuniting with his people. He had missed them too. But then the happy return turned swiftly to horror as he realized what they had descended into, idol worship. He had just spent weeks carefully carving two tablets to the exact specifications of the Almighty with whom he was convening, coordinating, planning, and obeying dutifully. He wanted to share this gift of the stones and the words of the eternal but at the sight of the people's abhorrent transgression, Moses's heart raised into his throat. What a sight that must have been to see those hordes of people utterly lost, led by decisions they made out of fear. They had no faith after all that God, the eternal, the holy of holies had done for them. Moses's rage lifted up his voice into a primal scream. It lifted his arms too with those precious stones in them. And without thinking, he threw them forcefully onto the ground, smashing them into this, onto the stony path before him, shattering them into pieces. The people broke from their celebration, stunned. And God, what did God have to say about this scene? At that moment, says Rabbi Rach Lakish in the Talmud and Baba Batra 14b, God said to Moses, Yashikoa, good job, way to go. Isn't it startling that God would appreciate Moses' destruction of the tablets? Why would this have been a good thing? Raish Lakish realizes that in that moment of the people's initial intoxication with idolatry, only something drastic could snap them out of that trance. Only with the breaking of these precious gifts, that thunderous boom 
that could have been, that would have been emitted from the smashing of them on the ground would up. Modern day commentator Suzanne Rabinovich shares that with the breaking of the tablets, the people's hearts too broke. Their stomachs dropped. They suddenly realized the significance of the error that they had made. It was a moment of reckoning, a moment of teshuva, of repentance. And in that instance, they realized that erecting a golden heifer was no real solution. Gold was flimsy and a cow was such an ordinary creature, a bovine. Whatever they were thinking, whatever were they thinking and propping it up as their God. They had let their fears get a hold of them, and that had led them to irrational and unconscionable behavior. And after just 40 days. Well, friends, we're now over 540 days into this pandemic. And we are waiting patiently for Dr. Fauci to descend Cedar sinai or Mount Sinai or any medical center with answers. We are trying, we are really trying to hold on to faith and not let fear get the best of us. But it's hard, it's so hard. Our way of life has been broken. Everything has transformed. How long will this last? Just as we might otherwise devolve into despair, we hear the sound of the shofar. It comes to us as a clarion call reverberating across the generations. That same call has for thousands of years fortified our people against onslaughts of tyrants and madmen, of mere obliteration, and even of previous pandemics. In that one long sound of tekiah, let us be reminded that we are part of an unbroken chain of tradition that preserved that persevered through faith in a new day. And for us, a new year is laid out before us. In those three whales of Shabarim, <coughs> let us hear the pain of those long drawn out whales. We connect with the brokenhearted everywhere across the generations. And in those nine staccato blasts of Trua, Let us be reminded to wake up and not fall into despair, to arise from the melancholy, melancholy to new mental alertness, to understand that even within the brokenness is a holiness. Like the broken vessels that the Kabbalists and the Zohar would say were smashed during the acts of creation. The brokenness that we find has within it light hidden. Our continual search for holiness, tenderness, compassion, and humanity amidst such chaos is a blessing. The search itself affirms light. It sheds light amidst the darkness. And that may just be it, that if the shofar blasts wake us up, the reading for today helps us find our way to find our faith. We read of the creation of the world today, and in the first verse of Genesis, haitatohu vavohu, out of that chaos that existed before creation, God simply said, let there be light. What if it was that easy? That all we had to do was just affirm, command for there to be light to see it in the world. 
Would that turn on the lights? Would that enable us to see the goodness that surrounds us even amidst the chaos? To see all of the compassion and creativity and support we've been offering one another, to appreciate our adaptability. I mean, 18 months ago, Zoom was only something that was done on the freeway, but here we are, techies, each one of us. Do we see light in that? Or in the new appreciation of grocery workers, nurses, and doctors, delivery people, and others who keep our lives working, but were so invisible before? There is light in that. In the piercing sounds of the shofar, we're called to snap out of our sorrow. And in the reading of the story of creation, we're offered a new opportunity to turn on the lights, to see the good. Yasher koach to the tradition, designed to give our broken hearts new life in these ways, to keep us moving through the pain that sometimes accompanies existence, to encourage sanctifying the good even here. Now, it may be chutzpah to ask you to sanctify this broken and awful time. And so I want to offer another alternative, to just keep moving. That's it. A wise 22-year-old named Zach Wendorf shared words with me on the occasion of his father's sudden and untimely death six years ago. From the comedian Jerry Seinfeld, a favorite of both of theirs. The point of life, Seinfeld would say, is to keep moving, just keep moving. And that's what Zach did at age 22, despite unbelievable grief and broken, the broken heart that he experienced. His father was his best friend and his role model. He mourned his dad, but he was still alert to the call of the shofar to not fall into despair. He understood that he needed to shine the light of creation into the void that he felt. He lit a yard site candle each year on the anniversary of his dad's death. And in doing so, he was able to move through his grief and keep looking for goodness, even amidst that brokenness. He saw that his broken heart was a tender heart, a heart full of compassion, but it was a heart beating and alive. And when he met Jesse, he allowed his heart to feel love. With her, he began to travel and experience love and the friendships that she brought into his life. He kept moving. And in that mo movement, he was able to flourish and create goodness. They married this past November, sanctifying the incredible love that they had. It was special and as if divinely inspired. Thank goodness he was able to live so fully for these past six years after his dad's death. Because that's it. That's the last chapter of his short life that ended at age 28 due to a sudden and ferocious strain of brain cancer. Those six years were about his affirming the goodness of the life has to offer, even after loss. It was about illuminating the darkness with the light of love. And that's what he will be remembered for. And that's a profound lesson to teach others. His life didn't end with a broken heart. He still saw creative potential and joy and goodness in the world, and he sanctified it. And we can too. That's the legacy he left. We have everything in our lives but time. And we don't know how much we have. 
but we do know that we will feel losses and pain and brokenheartedness. That's the human condition. And it would serve us well to also find a way to mourn that and grieve, but also to make room for and welcome in the potential for goodness yet to come. After the episode of the golden calf and the smashing of the two tablets, the people kept moving. They didn't stay stuck at the foot of that mountain or in the shame of their transgression. They moved on from their mistake. And Moses ascended back up Mount Sinai. And he again descended with a whole new set of tablets. The people had faith. Then they marched forward on their journey to the promised land. But we never forgot the episode of the breaking of the tablets and the dangers of losing faith and descending into chaos and chaotic times. We learned how to deal with brokenness and we developed the spiritual resource of faith or at least grit. Those broken tablets came to be housed inside of the ark, regarded as holy right alongside the new set of tablets. In this, we learned that the brokenness, in the brokenness, there is as much sacredness as in the wholeness. In all of the challenges we face in life, may we all remember these lessons to allow the shofar to rouse us from despair and to kindle the light to see holiness of creation all around us. May this be our faith and may it sustain us in the new year. Amen. Can you hear that song? <laughs>